Hello and welcome to Get Your Play On, the industry podcast for playwrights and theatre makers. I'm Sam Brady. And I'm Ginny Manning. So for this episode, we interviewed the fantastic Chanjay Kunda, didn't we, Ginny, who is a theatre maker based in Manchester and just a phenomenal personality. And it was possibly one of the easiest interviews we've done, wasn't it? Absolutely. Because her stories of how she's got her work on stage were so good. We didn't really have to ask any questions half the time, did we? I think she was the perfect podcast guest because we we barely even you know we 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 asked her questions and we had a conversation but she was just so full of being driven and problem solving and not being overwhelmed by the things that are thrown in our way yeah so she talked a lot about her, her work which in itself is fascinating but then she went on to talk about the, the things that she's done uh, in terms of trying to raise funds and uh, just make things happen. And I think she's just a fantastic example for us all to learn from about what is possible if you really believe in yourself and you believe in your work. I can't wait to listen to this again. So here's me and Ginny talking to Chanjay Kunda. <laughs> So welcome, Chanjay. Great to have you on the podcast. How are you? How was your lockdown? Well, strangely, I was kind of fine with the lockdown in a way because I already was living with mental health issues. And so I'm used to socially isolating myself from people as well. Sometimes I do just like to, um, you know, close my front door, switch off my phone and, you know, just have some space from people and, you know, read a book or listen to music. And so, you know, I've been going for runs in the park and I've been like listening to the birds singing and I've been doing things in my garden, um, meditation. And so funnily enough, I already had the tools of how to deal with mental health because I know that exercise is really important. I know that getting enough sleep is really important. Trying to do things that you enjoy is important. So I have been okay. I feel like the only thing that I probably could have done better is engaging more with all these various zooms that are going on with various different people but I'm just like (laughs) I can't be in a zoom with like 20 people all talking about this and various theatre groups and writers groups are all um, having zoom meetings and I, I just thought well unless it's absolutely essential I'm not going to engage in that so I'm just experienced in looking after my mental health. Do you think it's been particularly hard for creatives to to be in this lockdown situation obviously because of the loss of work but as creative people? Well a lot of people um, who work in the industry it's you know it's obviously it's a lot more difficult because people who do dance and movement or devising with other people to be not be able to be in a space where you can perform or move and not be in contact with the people who you're normally in contact with I think that's a terrible thing and I think what would be good is if people with mental health conditions should be the ones who are giving advice to people who haven't got mental health conditions on how to <laughs> how to look after your mental health and well-being because <laughs> we're very yeah. well experienced in it so I find that fortuitous in a, in, a, in this situation yeah absolutely and, and th- thanks for your checklist that was a great great checklist (laughs) me and Ginny have both been exercising haven't we I think we're both fitter than we've been in years aren't we that's totally true yeah it's funny as well that you mentioned the zoom thing because I think when this whole lockdown thing started I think a lot of us had this like my normal FOMO was kind of alleviated (laughs) a bit because it's like oh right I'm not going to workshops and I'm not seeing this theatre thing and I'm not doing but nobody else is either so it's fine (laughs) nobody's making more progress than me you know and then all the zooms kicked in and suddenly it's like oh no I can't go to that zoom and I have to go and you know and suddenly all this pressure's building and everybody's going to all these zoom meetings and I'm not so it soon got back to normal anyway 
I wanted to ask you, um, you seem to be someone who like crosses these different media uh, platforms really well, like from doing things like photo shoot stuff and performance on stage and digital stuff. Yes. Has that always been the thing with you? Uh, and, you know, how do you s- decide what medium you're going to work in or, or does it just happen? Well, um, I when I was younger, I used to go to youth theatre and I was always loved youth theatre and, and performing. Um, and I did a degree in theatre But what I felt at the time was that if a role wasn't written for a black female actor, they wouldn't cast them in the role. And I didn't feel like there was interest in roles in theatre for black women. So I decided to do performance poetry because I could get to be on stage and you know I get to perform and I was very influenced by people like Lem say and so I did performance poetry for a long time but I felt that my passion had always been theatre and that's what I really wanted to do and because of my background in doing performance poetry I was thinking that I could write epic poetic narratives that could be turned into a full-length piece and perform. So that was the avenue that I took then. Mm. And whilst I've been making solo performances for theatre, I've also worked with choreographers and directors and did a lot of work with live art as well. And with live art, and performance art, people tend to come from a fine art background, but then they can do performances in gallery spaces and so forth. And so I got influenced by that style of work as well. And so that's how it all amalgamated. And I've been able to use different tools using different media. Yeah, I love that. I love that about your stuff. I'd just like to backtrack a little bit. Do you want to just chat a little bit about how you two know each other? It was through the Lowry. The Lowry are an incredible venue that are very supportive. And I think we, we were both on the Developed With programme. Mm. I think I was doing my show, Superposition, at the time. What show were you doing again, Sam? Yeah, I was doing Things I Say When I Don't Say I Love yes. You. Yes. We did a showcase, didn't we, at the Lowry? Yes, for yeah, we people. did, yeah. Pretty early in my project, I think. I just did a, a script in hand reading. But that was when I first saw your work. You did a scratch performance. Yeah. And it was, to say the least, extraordinary. <laughs> well, it was, well, why don't you describe it? <laughs> okay. So the show that I was doing was called Superposition. And how that came about was I went to a workshop with Stacey Makishi um, on making work for performance. And she said to me, if you could make a show about anything that you wanted, what would you make the show about? And I said, I would love to make a show about quantum mechanics, existentialism (laughs) and stripping because they're my three favourite things. (laughs) Um, She was like, you know, that is a great idea and I'd love to come and see the performance so you've got to make it so that's how the the idea for the show superposition came about and then when I was doing the research and development of the show I was thinking about how to link all those three things and so the the question that I asked myself was about as a woman how can you be spectacular and out of this world? And also as a woman, what is our place in the world and the universe? And in terms of the quantum mechanics and astrophysics, it's things to do with the laws of attraction because the gravity makes, you know, things 
rotate around each other. And also in quantum mechanics, it's the um, attractive force that makes the protons circle the nucleus. And so I was looking about laws of attraction and how we can can make metaphors of this sort of thing. So I had a few metaphors in the piece, like um, if an atom was a nightclub, the nucleus would be dancing in the middle of the dance floor and the electron would get to orbit the nucleus, getting to see its sexiness from all angles. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a thing about um, um, pole dancing that I was saying that she's spinning like the earth on its axis. Diamanted jewels glisten like galaxies aware of their own beauty and power. And so I was mixing this style of movement with the language of quantum mechanics and astrophysics and using that combination to answer some existential questions about womanhood. <laughs> so, yeah, so it, it had all these different elements in it. So I loved making that piece. It was stunning, uh, that collision of ideas. I, I just loved that. Like the loftiness of all the science and then the thing that's seen as kind of seedy and looked down upon and you brought these two things together and, and one has elevated the other. I just loved it. Uh, and just that whole metaphor was great. Well, I think it's just, it's a different type of feminism because one of the things that I was looking at was looking around female sensuality. Now, with women, sexuality is very much problematized. So you have like the, the Me Too campaign and exploitation of women within industries like the you know, the, the porn industry, you have sexual harassment at work. So anything to do with discourse around women's sexuality is seen as a problem that we need to solve. And in within that, where is the space for women to celebrate their sexuality mm-hmm. and and to and celebrate the physicality and their body and to own it? And so that's how I was interested in exploring this. But one of the bad things was that I learned something from a, a professor in physics um, about black bodies, and in physics, a black body is. an object that is visually black when cold. So things like coal are black bodies. And what he was explaining to me was that if you heat a black body and you heat a non-black body, say you had a Bunsen burner underneath or something, the black body would get hotter than the non-black body. And if you remove the heat, that the black body would stay hotter for longer and in physics a black body is an idealized body and it's the perfect absorber and emitter of heat so there was a a place in the show I did in the end where I removed my clothes apart from my underwear and then I was talking about the physics of a black body which I thought was a brilliant metaphor however I hadn't told my mum that I was doing this show I didn't know what she was going to think yeah it comes back to my mum anyway my mum saw like a poster outside the building just about the show and saw the date on it and when I was um, doing the performance um the stage manager said um we've got your mother at reception and she's demanding a ticket because she gave birth to you. <laughs> so, so I said, okay, okay just um, give her a ticket. And so it came to the place in my show where I was going to remove my outer clothing and recite this black body poem. And as I started removing items of clothing, my mum was in the audience saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> she wasn't even thinking it. She was like, she was verbalising it. 
<laughs> so I was thinking, what do I do? If I stop doing it, the poem's not going to work. <laughs> and, and that's the way the directors like, kind of put it in. So I, I, I just had to continue uh, with my mum protesting in the audience. <laughs> So, so after the performance, someone would say, you should take your mum with you on tour because that just adds another <laughs> element of drama to the, <laughs> um, to the, to the piece. But I, I just, I really wanted to do something that was um, celebratory about being female, really. And, that, and that's how that came in. I know that with, in terms of the, the industry, um, of stripping is, you know, exploitative towards women. But I just wanted to use the 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 movement vocabulary and the language of it in order to be able to create a space where black women's sexuality or and but just women's sexuality in general is something that can be considered to be beautiful and magical and and out of this world and yeah and I feel like it 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 worked really well sounds amazing can I just ask you Chanjay because you've obviously got a really incredible creative process could you just talk a bit about that for us I, I know that um I've seen it, it seems that there's quite an autobiographical aspect to your work sometimes yeah I mean I do make autobiographical work well I think I was influenced by Maya Angelou because she wrote five different autobiographies yeah. but then there's there was people like I mentioned before Lem Sisse who did something dark that was about his his growing up and about his life yeah. and I just think that there's something interesting and beautiful about being on stage and performing but not pretending so I'm not pretending to be Lady Macbeth, even though I did play Mac uh, Lady Macbeth once and absolutely loved it. <laughs> so it was nice to play a wicked character. But there's something interesting about the person who's performing on stage is not playing a character and they are actually being themselves and they're actually engaging with the audience. So I think that adds a different level of intimacy and also with the universality of it, the experiences that I've had, all the people have the similar experiences or, you know, there's nothing that I've been through or done in my life that has not been done, you know, in the past or won't be done in the future by somebody else. So I think there's always things that are relatable and how, I've had different commissions by different venues. So I thought I'd just go through and say how I got involved with each venue. That'd be great. Thing. So oh, the yeah, first show that I did was in 2009, the first like, full-length show, and that was um, commissioned by the Royal Exchange, but it was performed in the studio space there. But they had, at the time, a festival of new writing that was like an open call. And I had an idea to do a show called Blue Black Sister. So I just put something in, like a proposal for showing an excerpt at this festival of new writing. So luckily I got accepted to uh, show like a 20 minute excerpt as part of this festival. And the audience responded really well. The Royal Exchange really liked it. And so they commissioned me to make the full length piece and then from there because I had some commission money from the Royal Exchange I was able to then use it as match funding to get the Arts Council of England funding and also Esme Fairburn Foundation also gave me the match funding so that's how uh, I did this Blue Black Sister at the Royal Exchange but then because I'm a poet as well, I'd had this ambition to write a full-length collection of poetry and Culture Word said that they were going to publish it. So I wrote this uh, series of poems that told a narrative that was called Amsterdam and I got that published. And then what I wanted to do was um, adapt it for the stage. 
and I applied to the Arts Council for the research and development of that show and the Arts Council said no, they weren't going to fund it. And so I was very determined that I'm not going to let these gatekeepers decide whether or not I can make work for the stage. So I contacted the place where I'd booked all the rehearsal space and I told them I'd not got my Arts Council funding and they very kindly said I could have a rehearsal space for four weeks and then I could just pay £100 a month until I'd paid off for the rehearsal space so I was able to spread the cost of this. And then there was somebody on the street asked me if I'd ever had any credit cards. There were these PPI people. I answered all the questions, got all the details of all my credit cards, got a PPI payment, <laughs> and I used that to, <laughs> I used that to um, pay for my director and the choreographer. And I also started a gardening business because my um, I, I love gardening and with where I live, I've got like a big back garden and a big front garden as well. And so I decided to start this business called Titan Trimmers and I put some, I printed off leaflets from my own printer and just put it through all the neighbours' door that I can cut your lawn once a week, you know, once a fortnight and this, that and the other and people hate doing the garden or weeding or whatever. So I ended up tending to the gardens of everybody who lived in a local vicinity to me. Um, I was doing that at evenings and weekends when I wasn't in rehearsals to supplement my income. And I was getting all my props and costumes from charity shops. So it was a real kind of violin story. Anyway, Contact Theatre said I could do the performance at Contact Theatre and they weren't going to charge me venue higher. And I think they did give me like a thousand pounds or something. So then I performed the show. It went really well. I'd invited a lot of industry people to come and see the show and ask them for testimonials. And then I went back to the Arts Council and I said, you said, they said to me that I'm not a quality artist and that's why they weren't funding me. That's the, that was when I asked them the decision. So then I went back to the Arts Council after I'd done this show and I said, these are all the testimonials from all these people in the industry. Here's all the audience feedback. And so, you know, what do you say now? So then they decided to give me a production and touring grant. The show actually got... Um, selected to be performed at the South Bank in London. Wow. And when I performed at the South Bank in London, the British Council came and then I was able to get an international tour through the British Council. Amazing. So the what you know, so it all just was, you know, it felt miraculous, but it was like by hook or by crook. I want to make this show and I did, I put, I pulled in all favours because I'd not even said some of the things that I did. One of the things that I also did to do some funding for this show was my sister works at ITV and she, um, she gets a bonus every year, but she also got a, a rebate on her tax because she'd overpaid tax for some reason. So she had a monthly salary, she'd had a bonus, and she'd also got a tax rebate. So I said to my sister, look, you've just got your bonus, you've got a full-time salary, and I'm trying to make a show with no funding. Just give me your tax rebate money because you weren't expecting that anyway. <laughs> so, so she said yes. And so that's just what I would say, that if... If you if you really want to make a show and you don't get the funding, don't let that stop you from making the work. You've got your rehearsal space costs. You might have a director that you want to work with. You you might have other all other costs in it. So just see what they are. See if you can spread out the payments. And is there anybody who can call in a favour for you yeah. or any you know? Yeah. So that's what I did with them. Um, with Amsterdam 
Um, and then my next show then was Superposition. And I was part of this group called Divergency that was about getting more black people involved in live art. And so that's so I, I just went to that group just to have some playtime where we could get a chance to they gave us a small like three hundred pounds to get a few bits and just play around. And so I was doing that and then I had this workshop one with Stacey Makishi that was part of the group that I did say I wanted to do a show about the quantum mechanics, existentialism and stripping. She said, do it. And so I did do a, like a bit of a scratch performance at Zed Arts. And then I invited like the Royal Exchange. I invited the Lowry. I invited all the contact theatres. So I invited a few venues to come and see the scratch performance and I also made sure that it was filmed as well. And one of the people who then were interested in it was the Lowry. And then that's when I got the developed with the Lowry. And then I was able to use the money that they were giving me to get match funding from the Arts Council and hire a producer and then do it at the Lowry, but then go on a national tour. So that's how that is how that came about but when I was doing my national tour of superposition the audience numbers were quite low and I think and the venues were saying that they didn't know how to market the show because the copy doesn't trip off your tongue and you know there's like quantum mechanics and existentialism what do you know it was just hard to for them to get their head around how to appeal to people and so I I had found that disheartening and so I stopped touring that show and then as what you were talking about FOMO before I was looking on uh, Facebook and Sophie Willen had um she was in Australia living her best life performing at the comedy festival and then Raymond Antribus, he just won Poetry Society's Book of the Year. He taught to nine different countries, performed and, and did all this kind of um, work. And then one of my friends posted a picture of herself in the Maldives yeah. in a white bikini showing off the new boobs, which boyfriend bought her. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I was like at home just buying plants, <laughs> um, basically. <laughs> and that's about as exciting as my life got. And I thought, well, if people are posting pictures about what they're doing, I'll just post some pictures about what I'm doing so I started posting pictures on social media of me with my various plants um, that I had. But unbeknown to me that there's like plants were trending, house plants were trending. And like I think the uh, hashtag house plants of Instagram has got something like a million followers. <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was getting quite my posts were popular amongst people who like plants <laughs> well apparently it was trendy amongst millennials so then I was just looking I was getting a bit itchy feet for like making work and then I saw that a word of warning hope they've got something called emergency which is a platform that they do once or twice a year that's just a platform for experimental work now um they only had a fee of like a hundred pounds but I just thought you know what I'll just apply for it and just do something so I got accepted for that and then I took all my hands house plants to Zed Arts and put them all in a gallery space and did a, a three-hour durational performance with me and my plants. <laughs> and people were, like, queuing for outside to come and, like, <laughs> see this performance with plants. So that was a lot of fun. And then... <laughs> so then the um, also what I had done 
And I think it was from advice from the Lowry of just get to know different venues. Now, I hadn't done any work with home um, in town because they were a new venue. It used to be the library theatre and the corner house. And so I, anyway, I just phoned up and said, who's responsible for uh, developing theatre talent in your building? And they put me in touch with the talent development officer at home. And I just went and had a meeting with her and I said, how do you engage with local artists? And then they told me, you know, the various things. One of the things is the Push Festival, which is an annual festival that happens in January where they they showcase people's work. So I decided to put in to do something at the Push Festival. And then I applied to the Arts Council to research and develop the show. And the Arts Council turned me down for researching and developing Plant Fetish Show. And they just said that they'd got other applications preferred. And that, that was the only feedback that I'd got. And so I decided to take to social media and I set up a crowdfunder. And I said, I want to make a show about plants to perform at this push festival at home and I shared that across my Facebook my Twitter and my Instagram and I got £1,860 on my crowdfunder from social media alone wow and then um Hope word of warning they gave me £600 and then home gave me all the free rehearsal space and you know said I could keep all the box office and so between between all that I was able to pay myself to spend some time developing a show for work in progress sharing so I did the work in progress sharing at the push festival which was incredibly well received and then from there I started attracting funding so there was a thing called the Slate program which was specifically for black artists and I got commissioned by them to develop the plant fetish into a full show and that was £8,000 and then I, I applied to the Arts Council because I had such a good match funding and I was able to get £15,000 from the Arts Council to match fund that as well. And then, you know, I was getting rehearsal space from home. I was getting rehearsal space from ARC. Um, I developed the show. And then it got booked for a national tour before the pandemic hit. Mm. It was going to be at the Vault Festival in London. And BBC London were going to do a preview. I'd caught a press officer that had got like 25 reviewers oh. coming um the British Council were going to come and see the performance with a view for doing international touring with the show because I've toured for them before everything was all set up all the flyers had been printed oh. the publicity was done I'd been intensely in rehearsals learning lines and booking hotels Everything was good to go. And then, you know, at the last minute, everything got cancelled. Um, so that was quite upsetting and a shock. Oh, I have got a producer awful. who was saying, well, look, we'll reschedule your tour and we'll do it next year. And then she was emailing the programmers to try to see when we could rebook the tour. And she kept getting auto responses of furloughed 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 so all the programmers got furloughed so frustrating isn't it yeah so I don't know what's happening with that so that was quite upsetting but then the Manchester International Festival had this program called online festival in my house so I, I got a commission to do something for digital media so that kept me occupied for a little bit and then I've just been trying to adjust really to this new way of living and so that's obviously you know put things on pause at the moment yeah but I feel like I've got 
a lot of experience in like how to make your work happen and Mm, sometimes you get funding and sometimes you don't get funding but what happens with me is if if the arts council say no it just makes me even more determined Mm. to make the work that I'm passionate about making yeah. And so there's there's a lot of different ways to fund it. And I've just always got the thoughts that there's a lot of people who've got money. Yeah. And so <laughs> and I'll get it off them one way or the other. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there's a lot of different ways. There's a lot of different ways. It's a fantastic attitude because most of us are too easily put off, I think. Mm. But what, one of the things that, that comes out of what you've just said, and I've found this as well, is that it's like this snowball effect. Yeah. So like when you've got no money, it's really hard to get money from people. But if you can get a bit of money together and you can say, oh, I've got this bit of money, then you can get a bit more. Then once you can go to some people and you can say, well, they've given me some money and they've given me some free rehearsal space, then other people, it's like people are so convinced by the fact that they'll follow what other people are doing. Like it's definitely a case with the Arts Council and match funding, isn't it? Yeah. If you can say to them, well, look, they've given me five grand, then they'll be like, oh, right, okay. So it's just that thing that if you can get a few hundred quid from somewhere, then that can lead to getting more. But it's really daunting for most people to to ask for money. Have you always been like an entrepreneurial person? Because you just seem like you're not afraid to ask and you're (coughs) determined. Well, after I did my degree in theatre, when I was pregnant with my son, I did an NVQ level three in business. And that was one of the best things that I've ever done. Now, because I wanted to set up self-employed as a freelance artist, and I wanted to know how to do it and how to market myself. Now, people say that vocational qualifications you know, don't mean anything. So even though I, I've got an MVQ level three in business, that I don't even bother putting it on my CV because nobody considers that to be any, anything. But it just gave me the the things to know about how to be a freelancer in terms of what are your different income streams, what what do you want to earn and how much work do you need in order to be able to earn that. So there was all different income streams that I identified that I could have as a freelancer. So one of the income streams is doing workshops. Now, at the time, if you're doing a day workshop, it was £150 a day. And so then I was like, okay, if if I get £150 a day and I want want, um, one thousand five hundred pounds in the month then that means that I, I need to do 10 workshops but do do you want to make all your money from doing workshops no I want to make money from doing shows and doing performances so then you think okay how many performance how much do I get to do a a, a performance at the time it was a poetry if I got a poetry gig how many poetry gigs could I get how much was I charging for the poetry gigs? How many workshops did I need um, in order to, you know, get that? What what marketing do I need to do? Because I was young at the time, I got some uh, Millennium Trust and Prince's Trust money and I made like a leaflet about the workshops that I could offer and I sent it to all the schools and colleges in Manchester and I hadn't even realised at the time it was yellow pages and um, but you wouldn't believe there was there's like 350 schools in, in Manchester and like and then there's, there's ones in Merseyside, Liverpool and literacy that everybody's got to study poetry people study Shakespeare and and plays and stuff there's a really big push on about literacy and then there's people who are studying theatre at at college or studying English literature and even university students so I just blanketed 
all that and then was able to sustain myself and do also from doing workshops as well as performing so if if you want to make a full-time career as a playwright or a theatre maker you can think right I'm going to make work that's touring but I'm also going to go to the colleges that teach performing arts and offer my services there to give me give them a seminar. I've done um, the National Student Drama Festival that happens every year. Yeah, I go and do workshops with those. I've I've done workshops with people who are doing degrees in performing arts, and so there's all those kind of different ways of of generating income. So I have I've done the, that type of course, but then also. I'm also always interested in learning. Now, with the Manchester International Festival, I was lucky enough to get this Cherwood Fellowship, which just meant that I was able to work with Simon Stevens and Frantic Assembly on their show Fatherland that was in, I think that was in 2017. Anyway, through the Manchester International Festival, they had these um, champagne receptions and stuff like that for... The patrons, you know, the the people who who donate money to the festival. And I was invited. I was very shy of speaking to all these patrons and stuff. And then John McGraw said to me that there's a lot of people who wish they'd had a career in theatre or wish they'd had a career in performance. But throughout their family, that wasn't a proper profession. So, you know, they were a director of a of you know big company in a massive organization. They they get a lot of money, but the heart has always been in like performing. And so they donate money to the Manchester International Festival and other places so that they feel like they're contributing to the industry. And I thought, wow. So they just said just so John McGrath said, look. Just speak to these people, you know, they're sponsoring all what we're doing. So I met this, at this champagne reception, I'd met this uh, man and his wife, and I was, they'd said that they'd been to the Lowry and see my show Superposition at the Lowry. And they told me that they were patrons of the Lowry, and they were also patrons of Manchester International Festival. And as it turns out, they've got two grown-up children. And I was thinking, you've got two grown-up children, but you give him one to Manchester International Festival, you give him one to the Lowry, you're patron of this, that and the other. I, on the other hand, I'm just trying to make sure that I get my mortgage paid off so I've got something to leave my son. <laughs> You're just throwing money about willy-nilly. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> so I, I took their card and then... When I was doing my crowdfunder, I had their card. And so in the morning, I just sent an email saying, hello, uh, you know, it's Chan and we met at that champagne reception. Anyway, I I thought you might be interested in investing in some art because uh, um, I've got a crowdfunder for my next show. So I sent that in the morning. And then in the afternoon, they donated £500 to my crowdfunder and the thing was, I thought, I'm putting a crowdfunder to say I want to make a show about plants. And so you <laughs> could do £5, you know, £10, £15. And so the upper bracket was like £500. And I just put that on there for, mm. you know, it's just whatever. And then they paid the maximum amount. And I was like, I should have said you could donate <laughs> and they just donated it like without even blinking and I thought wow some you know some people have got money so uh, that they could just you know that's like me giving like 50p to some homeless person it's just like they don't even think about it it's not even an issue and so just the attitude that I've got is there's money out there for the arts and I want it (laughs) (laughs) and it's not because um you know I'm particularly financially motivated but 
it, it costs money to make art and it costs money to pay your mortgage. Yeah. <laughs> so, and if I've got those two things, then I'm, I'm perfectly happy. And the, there are, luckily, because I did that NVQ level three in business, it did teach me about various income streams, earned income, donations, sponsorship, funding. So I just take a bit out of each stream and make a patchwork quilt living, you know. <laughs> that's, that's really incredible advice <laughs> that that was this is the easiest interview for a podcast we've ever done because yeah. you're just full of <laughs> full of absolute brilliant advice yeah, and it's just so practical as well yeah can I can I just ask another question Chanjay um yes you know you mentioned before didn't you about the lack of of roles for black artists and well I'm, I'm not just referring to that I mean like uh, across the board there's lots of issues that that, that could be changed and I just wondered what changes do you think would be really great in the theatre industry? Well, I do think that there does need to be a lot more inclusivity within theatre. I feel as if theatre is is very white, very middle class, and I don't necessarily think that it, it's as inclusive as it could be to people from working class backgrounds, to people from refugee backgrounds, the um, affordability of it. And I, I really feel that there needs to be more working class people sitting on the board of theatres. And I think there needs to be more working class people who are part of the staff and who can do the marketing as well just so that it's something that is for everybody in society from every different walk of life theater is is such an intimate experience that you share with all the audience members it's it, it it's something magical it's something that you can learn from get a lot out of it to be part of a theatre production is, you know, it's wonderful. And I just feel like most people should be able to have the opportunity and in terms of how to how to reach these people and how to engage those type of audiences. I do think that on, on board level, they do need to shake it up because I know as a parent... Even young people spend a lot of money on gaming, subscribing to this PlayStation thing, buying, you know, PlayStation 5 is coming out and that's, what, £600? My son wants that and I'm like, what? (laughs) He sticks to the PlayStation 4. But people, people, people have got money and they've got money to spend and... There's all these incredible experiences that you could have by going to the theatre. And I think that they could actually just increase the revenue if they marketed it to uh, different demographics and have people from different demographics making work. Because even from caveman days, people were sat around the fire playing drums or whatnot. And there's just something beautiful about coming together in a space and having storytelling going on or somebody dancing for you or somebody like singing for you. You know, it's it's a really special experience. And I just think that, yeah, there needs to be more diversity at board level, more diversity in the, the staff levels. And I think that would make it more um, inclusive and then also make the industry more robust and less reliant on funding because it's not just a very small proportion of the demographic of the country who are are paying money to go and see things. Absolutely, yeah. God, I really wish you were running the country. (laughs) 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 
on JPKM. I would have a few things to say, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if the UK is ready for a black female prime oh, minister. <laughs> I wish it was. I really do. The time will come. It will. <laughs> Um, wow. Well, I think that's a really great place to end. Like, you've been amazing. Thank you. Thanks so much, Janjay. It's been a lot of fun. We'll turn up with your mum next time you've got something on. <laughs> we'll make sure she doesn't shout from the audience. <laughs> Oh, no, that's the other thing. If if my mum doesn't approve, then that generally means I'm in the right direction. <laughs> that's the rebel in me. <laughs> okay, take care. So that was me and Ginny talking to the amazing Chanjay Kunda. It was a lot of fun, wasn't it? Wow, yeah. I really, really appreciated everything she was saying, particularly about going out there and getting funding and just making sure your work happens. Especially if you're writing, then the, the perhaps the introverted side of you can be shy about putting yourself forward and working out how to get help to put your work on. Again, it's the idea of collaborating with other people, but also it's accepting there's going to be obstacles and still working your way around them, you know, and she's very open about the um the obstacles she's faced and i appreciated that honesty as well yeah the fact yeah. that she didn't get arts council funding and then went back and said look this is what this is what i've done with my work i just i found that really inspiring and the fact that she is raising her own profile by the work she gets she keeps going for her opportunities um it's just like uh, as theater makers as playwrights We've just got to keep going. And I think that's an important message at this time as we're at the moment, we're in COVID and lockdown and everything. Just keep going and have, have faith in your own creativity. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's all for this episode. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with your friends. And don't forget, if you haven't already, uh, if you've got the Apple Podcasts app, do go on and uh, give us a five-star review because it helps other people to find us by pushing us up the ratings. And uh, if you haven't already, then please do subscribe to the podcast so that you get uh, a reminder every time there's a new episode. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with uh, another episode. Until then, keep safe and uh, keep writing and uh, we'll see you then. Bye.